The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast with Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. No Matt Connor. He's doing a house renovation right now. They're still there. So instead of listening to saws and hammers, you can listen to me. Not only do you listen to me, we'll have a special guest on today, NFL reporter Jeffrey Chadia. He'll be on in just one moment. Got a lot of news to get to, but before that, Casey Beerco. Arrowhead Attic Podcast brought to you by the Casey Beer Company, largest locally owned brewery in Kansas City and the only brewery in KC to focus on German beer styles. German purity laws, you guys know about it. I talk about it every single week. Four ingredients, malt, hops, water, yeast. Uh, and I will tell you this much. Some Someone asked me, have you ever drank Casey Birko warm? I think it was a guy from Sweden, Mike in Sweden. I'm doing it right now. I am trying it and it is still good. Uh, it would be better colder. I am not going to lie to you, but when you have a long day, Casey Birko still hits incredibly good. Uh, let's bring him on. Jeffrey Chadia from NFL Network, NFL.com. Uh, also a guy you don't want to guard in the paint playing basketball. His elbows right about the same height as my dome. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing well, and my game actually has expanded. I can shoot the three now. I've gotten back to my slashing mode from my younger days, so not just the bruiser in the paint anymore, man. I got I got some uh, some MJ in my game, not just Carl Malone going on. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, I met Jeffrey playing basketball at Lifetime. I was doing just starting up doing some radio, and I didn't know who he was, full transparency. Marcus Kemp was also there, full transparency. Didn't know who Marcus Kemp was at the time, and I'm sitting here like, these guys are great at basketball. And then I met them, and uh, it's been fantastic. So, Jeffrey, always a pleasure having you on. Yeah, it is great, man. Good to see you, man. You look great. You're dressed up. Got the got a, what, you got a suit and tie on or just a jacket, sports coat? What is that? Oh, full-on suit. You want to see? You want to yeah, see? Yeah, I'm drinking a beer. We're pretty laid back over here. Come on now. Well, I got a beer too, but we got the, the full on suit. Okay. Pinstripes. You're, you're ready to get mosaic tonight, huh? <laughs> Only Power if you're the light look out. Uh, I want to talk about something that just happened. Clyde Edwards Alaire was placed on the active pup list, if you will. New, not a lot of information going about this right now. Was this really surprising to you? Well, yeah, I was just up there yesterday and there was no word about him coming in banged up. So, you know, but who knows? I mean, sometimes guys come in with little. Knicks, um, I, we didn't know about Lucas Niang with his surgery. We didn't know about Richard Fitton going, uh, uh, you know, going to be an active uh, with his shoulder operation. So, you know, these things happen. It's not, it's not, I wouldn't, it's surprising in the fact that it's coming out now, but it's not surprising given the way things go early in training camp for some players. I know we have no information on this, so it's straight speculation. <laughs> but would you be concerned at all? Clyde Edgelaire obviously having multiple injuries in his young NFL career. He plays running back, so he gets beaten up a lot. As someone who wants the best for Clyde, we want to see him succeed. We've had a chance to have him on the show. Great human being. The success has not been there so far early on. Is this just another setback for him? 
Well, certainly it is. When you're a running back, you don't want to be known as an injury-prone running back. Um, Every year he's had something to deal with. Obviously, he hasn't played up to expectations. He's been good. He's been solid. But I think the projection coming out was that he was going to be a Pro Bowl, you know, just can't unstoppable success in this offense. And it does make me wonder back when they brought in Jarek McKinnon or, or re-signed him, if this wasn't part of, of the, the calculus, you know, because now we're hearing about him not being available and they have more depth and they have a running back they like. So, uh, look, we all know that running back isn't the most important position on this offense, but it, it, it's a big blow to him. I, I do feel for the guy. He's now in his third year and he's reaching a point where at some point you have to wonder, is he going to have a fifth year option, you know, put on him or is he or is he going to be walking out of here after next season yeah i want to get to something that you had the report on i know you've been asked a lot about this and that's in regards to orlando brown jr you had that report that the chiefs were frustrated at least that was the headline with orlando brown jr and how the contract negotiations were happening can you clear the air here what was going on here with orlando brown jr well, I think it was pretty clear. I mean, uh, look, they went into this with, with the hope that they could sign Orlando Brown Jr. And I'm pretty sure Orlando Brown Jr. went into this with the hopes of being uh, having this resolved, having a long-term deal done by now. And so the frustration the Chiefs felt was that his demands were at a level they just couldn't really have a, 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 an honest you know, productive negotiation with. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's tough because they like Orlando Brown, which I said in that report like him as a player, like him as a person, but they also have a value on him that they're not going to exceed. And we've seen them throughout the offseason be very consistent with this. They were that way with Tyreek Hill. They were that way with Tyron Matthew. They've been that way with, that way with Orlando Brown Jr. And it doesn't mean that there's you know friction. I think people took umbrage with uh, the quote that you know he's not the same guy that we brought in here when we traded for him. And that's, that's to speak to just, I think they thought he was more sensible that he was going to be more reasonable in this process. Nothing to do with them not liking him anymore now. And also I heard people say, you said team friendly deal that they were looking for, for him. Again, the way I look at it, and I've covered the NFL for over 25 years, deals are either player friendly or they're team friendly. And so if you want to use reasonable as a synonym for team friendly, that's fine too. End of the day, what they offered was something that was going to be team friendly and he didn't want to take it. I don't know how team friendly that really was though. It made him one of the highest paid left tackles. I understand the whole premise of next man up, right? No one's sitting here saying Kyler Murray is a top three NFL quarterback. If they are, it's asinine. We're not saying Orlando Brown Jr. is a top three left tackle. I think that's Again, pretty crazy, but the numbers were in line with some of the elite tackles in the NFL. He was going to make more money, even in those first two seasons, correct, guaranteed than what he would on the franchise tag. To me, it, it was it was a little bit of a, a disservice his agent did to him. It's a, it's a new agent, I believe his only client. Yeah. It was just a whole, it was wild how this whole thing transpired. Are, are you shocked that Orlando Brown Jr. did not accept this this deal? No. Uh, You know, I think going into it, as it came down the stretch, I thought he will ultimately settle for something less than what Trent Williams or David Bakhtiari is getting that $23 million in up range. But, you know, I thought he would be around $19, $20 million a year, which is what was offered. When I say it was team friendly, I I mean that the the long term uh, aspect of it and which what they complained about it was the security, you know, as you got deeper into the contract wasn't there. And that was there for a reason because they're hedging their bets, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so if you go back to when 
Orlando Brown got traded. Um, I had a lot of conversations on the radio on 810 about this, and people asked me where would they be at this point. And my prediction was that I thought he would be uh, underwhelming. I think he he surpassed that. He was a solid player. He was a good player. He made the Pro Bowl. He wasn't great, but he was better than I thought he was going to be. But I thought the negotiation was going to be difficult for this very reason. Because as much as he talked about wanting to play left tackle because his dad wanted him to do that, as much as he wanted to do that because he played there in college, end of the day, that's where the money was at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where this, this was always going to be an issue because he wanted to be paid at a level the Chiefs didn't want to pay at. And that's what I said all along is we should have seen this coming. The Chiefs should have seen this coming. We should have known that when he said he wants to play left tackle, it's great about what his dad told him, but it's about the money. Sure, the pedigree of playing left tackle is higher than right tackle, but the biggest difference is the money. We should have seen this coming. We should have known that maybe he's more about that than anything else. I just don't see what other team would offer him a contract like this unless you're going to a horrible team, a bad organization. You look at the Jags, you look at the Jets, you look at a team like that. I don't see where he makes this extremely large contract at. Well, I I don't think that's a... A concern for him. I think when players get to this point, that's what matters to them, getting paid. Okay. There's 32 places you can get it at. <laughs> so it's I've always felt it's overblown the idea that if you're not playing for the Chiefs or the whatever, the Patriots back in the day or the Bucks now, the Packers, that you're some way going to be unhappy with your situation. If you're getting paid a lot of money, you're going to be just fine with that. Uh, and in fact, I think I've always stressed to people when talking about this that Orlando Brown is not a villain here. Not the first guy to want to get paid a lot of money who thinks his value may be greater than what it may actually end up being. Uh, and be honest with you, the last couple of years of free agency have proven that out. You know, when Christian Kirk got paid by Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that you just said, like you just mentioned, is not a winning franchise, that blew people's minds. And so when you start thinking about if you're out in free agency and you have a chance to to find suitors, that's what people like Orlando Brown think about. And, and so that's, again, I, I think that it's unfortunate that they are here with, that they are at this situation, in this situation. I don't know how it's going to play out moving forward and how much time he's going to miss, but I, I do think that it's not surprising that he wanted to be the highest paid and that the Chiefs, the Chiefs weren't surprised by this. They weren't surprised by the fact that it broke down. They were surprised by this guy just wasn't that sensible as they went through the process. Do you think that he can afford to miss any games or just in, in my estimation here, this is a guy who's made, I believe, under $7 million in his total career, right? If he signs the franchise tag, that one year is automatically doubling what he's made in his entire career. He's only played left, uh, left tackle for one full season. He was known as good to above average, not elite. If he tries to sit out, not only is he labeled as a malcontent, you also don't have the experience. You were never in the elite category. I, I just feel like if he sits out, he does more harm than good. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I think the gamble he's taking is that the Chiefs suffer in that position and feel the brunt of him not being on the field. And, and so, or, or Joe Tooney can't play left tackle at the level the Chiefs think he can if he's sitting out. I've always felt in these situations that if you're going to miss a day, you might as well miss the whole camp. <laughs> you might as well not show up until week three or week four if you're trying to make a point. 
You know, if you just want to sit around on your couch and not do anything, I don't see you know, what that good that does you, except for giving you a, a little bit of break away from, from training camp. It's not even hot up here right now, right? It's not even hot in Kansas <laughs> it's City beautiful. Right today. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. Today. Yeah, so um, I would think the only way you can actually make this work in his favor publicly is that if he's not playing in week one, they go out there against the Cardinals and J.J. Watt is running up and down the field against Robert Goldner having field days against who's ever playing left tackle. Yeah. Uh, as far as Brett Veach, were you impressed at the restraint he showed as far as treating this as a sunk cost? The first deal was bringing him in. Second deal was making sure you don't overpay. You have a number in mind, and that's an entirely separate deal. Because too often, I feel like teams fall into this, this role of, well, we traded for him. We gave up assets. Now we have to give him whatever he wants. Frank Clark was a little bit different, but to the same extent, traded him for assets and then signed him to a massive contract that I don't think any other team was going to give him. Did Brett Veach show restraint here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they played it right. And I think they played the Tyreek Hill situation right. They played the Tyron Matthews situation right. I've said this ever since Patrick Mahomes became the starting quarterback here, that once you have a quarterback of that caliber, a player that every year you can compete with for a championship, you got to make some hard choices about how you handle your roster moving forward. And in the last the two previous years, they were a lot more cavalier about it. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire being a perfect example of that. Frank Clark being an example of that. You know, Sean McCoy, some of the other guys they picked up. It was always like, hey, we got this guy and it's going to be great. And some guys didn't work out. Some guys did. But ultimately, you have to – you can't fall in love with anybody except your quarterback <laughs> when you have someone like Mahomes. You have to make sure you're always putting a good supporting cast around him. To always make sure you're taking care of your finances. Because if you don't, you end up being like the Seattle Seahawks are right now, where you're just in salary cap hell. You end up being like the New Orleans Saints, who are in salary cap hell. You end up being like the Atlanta Falcons, who are in salary cap hell. And so I think, you know, for the last four years, when Mahomes on this rookie deal, they went for it. They were very aggressive in signing players and taking chances. And now you have to have restraint in order to avoid you, – you just can't have big misses anymore. You know, yeah. you can't have – CEH in the first round not turn out for you. You can't go sign Frank Clark and not have him be a, a consistent player for you. And so I think it's smart. It's how the Patriots sustain their success over a 20-year period. As a noted Chiefs realist, right, sometimes in 810 you get the, the Chiefs hater moniker, which I think <laughs> is, is, is very funny. But are Chiefs fans and, and people in the media – are they too excited about Justin Reed as the fill-in for Tyron Matthew? Because Tyron Matthew was incredible for two seasons. I think his last year, he took some quote-unquote business decisions. We, we saw what he did, and Chiefs fans were frustrated, and rightfully so. The secondary was a disaster for big chunks of the season, and he was the guy the easy guy to point to because he was the leader. But Justin Reed comes in, and now it feels like everyone's saying he's just going to do an easy fix. He's more athletic. He's younger. He's going to be an improvement. Is that just a too much enthusiasm? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand it at this point in the season. You're going to have that. Every team in the country, their fan base is going to feel that way about whoever they've added, whoever they've drafted, whoever they've signed. There's always going to be that. Oh, this guy's the greatest. Look out. We're going to be lights out now that we got this guy. I mean, Miami feels that way right now about all the people they signed. But end of the day, you're, you're right that there is a lot that you're losing in Tyron Matthew, even without him playing at the same level he was at the two previous years. The leadership was big. I feel the same way about Anthony Hitchens. I know he was a punching bag. 
most last couple of years. But again, that leadership is huge. And when you have a, a defense, it's going to have a lot of young players, a lot of rookies, a lot of guys who are new to the scheme. Yeah, you really can't underestimate what it means that people who who can pick things up quickly, who can rally teammates quickly. And I, it's, it's going to be a big challenge for not just Justin Reed. I think Nick Bolton has got to be more of a leader. Legereus Need has to be more of a leader. You know, you got to have the guys like George Karloftis and Trent McDuffie grew up quickly. George, uh, Steve Spagnuolo has been proven to not be a guy who trusts rookies early, young players early. And so he's going to have to make some transitions. So I, I don't think it's all on Justin Reed to make things right. But I do think that they will miss that leadership that Tyra Matthew gave and that dimension of just being somebody who could be so flexible, so versatile in the back end. Because so much of what Steve Spagnuolo is able to do is just, is just uh, disguise coverages and allow that pass rush to get home. If you have guys who aren't versatile, it's harder to make that happen. I do think, though, as a whole, this defense is maybe more versatile than in years past. I think Leo Chanel, first and foremost, is one of the most versatile guys. They're looking at his combine numbers again. Combine numbers don't always translate <laughs> to actual NFL production, but they're incredible, right? Yeah, <laughs> but Willie Gay Jr. is the yeah. same way. I think Justin Reed is the same way. Brian Cook, right? He is a very versatile dude. It almost felt like this entire offseason was about athleticism, versatility, and speed. So while we can sit here and talk about the loss of Tyron Matthew and what he brings, I think it's almost fair to say they're still more versatile even without him as a whole. Yeah, uh, yeah on paper it looks that way, but I, I always caution people – with any draft, no matter how excited you are about it, no matter how big time the player is, what school he comes from, if you're hitting on fifty percent of those guys, you, you're doing pretty good. And so you got to look at half the guys you just mentioned. They may not work out. Like half the guys they sign in free agency may not, and I, and I say may not work out. They may not live up to expectations. I remember Brett Beach's first draft, and it was a lot of talk about Armani Watts being a four-year starter, and uh, who was the kid from Mississippi who was here for like uh, two years and left. Braylon Speaks, yeah, Braylon Speaks, like all the things he, how versatile he was, all the spots he <laughs> played, and you know, the, the best player ended up being uh, Derek Nottie. And, and so, mm. so that it, it can go that way. I don't anticipate it. I, I like I like Trent McDuffie a lot. I like George Karloftis and Sky Moore a lot, but it's the NFL. Guys have, have growing pains. Guys have huge learning curves. I, I remind people all the time about Devontae Adams got, you know, a huge contract in the offseason. He's the best receiver in the NFL. Go back and look at what he was doing the first couple of years in Green Bay, how they talked about him. You know, it's just uh, it's just that's kind of the reality of, of playing in this league. It takes a while to get up to speed. If you think everybody on your team is going to be up to speed from day one and playing like Nick Bolton was playing at the end of the year mm. or the way Tyreek Hill was playing in his rookie year, like that's that's a rarity. Most guys are going to be close, you know, closer to the mean. How large of a loss is Traverius Ward? Because to me, that was the one guy – I look at and say, that's the biggest loss. Tyree Kill, massive loss, right? But as a whole, the wide receiving core from guys two to five, two to six, I, I think it's a deeper room. I think the cornerback room is deep, but Traverius Ward was, in my opinion, the most underrated cornerback on this team. One of the most underrated guys in the NFL, but it's tough to say underrated when you get a, what, three-year, $42 million contract with the 49ers. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think that's a big loss for Kansas City. Is that the biggest loss in your mind? On defense or just overall? Overall, in, in general. Oh, well, the biggest loss is Tyreek Hill. I mean, 
<laughs> no, that's not even contracts close. included. Contracts yeah, included. I'm not, not even close. I mean, I think, but I hear your point. I think Charvarius Ward, he was, you know, he was solid to good for me. I, I, I think the scheme he played in helped him out a lot. I wonder how he will do in San Francisco. It's, it's a scheme that's more conservative, or I think he can fit in and play a lot more zone concepts. But I also remember Breland Speaks played well. I mean, Richard Breland uh, played well and went to Minnesota, and he was just garbage. And so I don't wish ill will on Charvarius Ward, but I felt like he fit well with what they did. And what really – this defense would have been a lot better if Tyron Matthew was playing at a higher level. I, I said this for the last three years, that this defense was always about three players. Tyron Matthew – Chris Jones and Frank Clark. And if, if those three guys are playing well, the defense play well. And if it didn't play well, uh, it was going to be a problem. But I, I hear what you're saying in that I like Trent McDuffie a lot. I suspect he will be a big upgrade over Charbarius Ward in the end. I think Lavadarius Sneed is, is a good player. I don't think he's great, but I think he's good. And so if they get better corner play, that will likely negate whatever Justin Reed has to deal with as far as replacing Tyron Matthew or Brian Cook or Juan Thornhill, whoever's back there playing safety. Uh, it's just, they, to me, one of the biggest issues they've had and never were able to rectify and what hurt them when it came to winning, to becoming a dynasty, is just cornerback play. They just never were able to get a really good group over there. They had solid players, but never great players. Yeah. You've mentioned Trent McDuffie a good amount now. I'm going to go ahead and assume that's the guy you're most excited, or at least that you think will have the biggest impact for Kansas City. Out of the young guys? The new yeah. guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the, of, the, of, the, of the rookie class. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like him because he's understated. I, I watched him play in Washington a couple times. Yeah, I went to Michigan, so I watched him play against Michigan. And Oh, you took the Mizzou logo. Come on now. Yeah, that's that, the Mizzou we? in, baby. Did we? No. I thought Michigan no. was established for me, too. I Michigan was founded much earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, both he and the kid from who went to Chicago, um, I can't remember his name now, but they had two great corners, and they played great. And so he's not, he's not Deion Sanders out there, but he looks like the kind of player who technically he's very, very sound. He's got a great mindset. He's very bright. He's not a great ball hawk. But again, I think you just want to have guys who can stay in the hip pocket and, and, and really just challenge people at the line of scrimmage. And I think he can do that for you. So, yeah, I think I think it's going to be tougher for Carl Loftus to make the same kind of impact or even the sky more because receivers in his offense, it's always a tough adjustment playing at this level under Andy Reid. But when you're playing cornerback, traditionally, every level of football is the easiest sport to transition into at the next level. So, I, yeah, I do think Trent McDuffie will be that guy. I, I've been really – I guess, enthused about what George Karloftis can do. I think he was maybe the most NFL-ready D-end at that spot. I know some people wanted some guys with some higher upside, but the Chiefs needed someone who could make an impact at edge week one. I'm still concerned, I guess. This is the one spot, pass rush, that I have no idea what to expect. Karloftis, I think, will be solid, but to expect him to get, what, 13-plus sacks as a rookie Uh, seems completely asinine. Frank Clark gives you no reason to think that he's going to come back and all of a sudden dominate. As far as, you know, Michael Dana, he's been fine. It's solid rotational piece. Obviously, Chris Jones on the interior is incredible, but is the lack of a pass rush going to cost the Chiefs late into the season it's going to be a challenge and every year since 2018 i think they've gone down lower and lower in the sacks 
you know, rankings. I think they went from two in 2018 when they had D Ford and Justin Houston to 29th last year in sacks overall. That's never a great trend to be setting. The key here is going to be Chris Jones. Chris Jones has to play like Aaron Donald. He's got to be a monster from, from, from day one. And I get why they were trying to make him a defensive end last year and why they stuck with it longer than they could have because they didn't have any other option they liked until Melvin Ingram showed up. And so you saw the defense take a turn when that happened. And so he's going to have to be the guy who makes things easier for George Karloftis and for Frank Clark and for anybody else over there who's going to be lining up. Again, it's these are first-world problems the Chiefs are facing now. You, you don't get to have – I know everybody in every city wants to have a team where every you have an all-star at every position, a pro bowler, an all-pro <laughs> guy, can't miss, first-round pick. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, sometimes you have to go out there and hope that the guy you drafted can get it done because you're going to have a weakness someplace. But what, what, you, what you're seeing the Chiefs do, though, is they are – copying a lot of what you're seeing other teams do around the league, which is really bolstering their secondary and hoping that can be a way of helping the pass rush as opposed to saying, hey, get to the quarterback and we'll just hold our own back here. They're, they're hoping that they can disguise more versatility, better cover guys. It's it's a way that the uh, the Rams have been doing it for a while now. Uh, it's that well, that helps with, with Von Miller, Aaron Donald. It does help. Yeah. <laughs> it does help. It does help. The Rams, the Broncos, the big fans you have done it. And you saw the success they had. They weren't a great team when they're Fangio, but they gave the Chiefs problems defensively because they had a lot of good players in their secondary. And Bradley Chubb was the only guy consistently out there who could rush the passer for him. Yeah. What, what do you think about that trend? Because I've said two things. The, mo- or the most two important things in today's NFL is one, got to have the quarterback. If you don't have the quarterback, you're probably not going to win. And two, how do you affect the quarterback? And that's with the pass rush. I've said that's the second most important thing in today's NFL. I'm obviously not a GM. I'm not a head coach. And it seems like the Chiefs are kind of going against that trend here. What do you make of trying to bolster or at least focus more energy on the secondary instead of the pass rush? Well, I'd also say the Patriots have done that for years, too, under Bill Belichick. They've never had a top-tier pass rusher aside from Chandler Jones, but... They've had really good players in their secondary, and that's allowed them to uh, to help pressure the quarterback. There's a lot of ways to affect the quarterback. You know, it's it's very hard to find an Aaron Donald. It's very hard to find a Von Miller. And I always go back to something Ozzie Newsom told me a long time ago when the Ravens, he was their GM, and he had a pretty good defenses there. And he said, Jeff, the thing about sacks, most sacks in the NFL happen not because of some great player doing some great things. It happens because you confuse somebody. You confuse the quarterback, (laughs) you confuse the offensive line, and that's what the Chiefs, I assume, are trying to do with this approach to it, which is let's create more confusion, make it harder to make easy reads, quick reads, and let's give our defensive linemen one extra chance to get to the passer or our blitzers. It would not surprise me if they had – if they blitzed more than any other time than Steve Spagnuolo has been the the defensive coordinator uh, with this team this year. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because I would not have thought that, but when you break it down, it makes a lot of sense because if you look at the Chiefs' pressure numbers as a whole last year, they weren't necessarily horrendous, right? The pressure numbers weren't the the main issue. It was the the sacks and the finishing. So if they know what's coming, you can get pressure, but you're not going to bring them down. I guess is that kind of the thought process there. Yeah, yeah. I think you just want to be able to – you win it down a number of ways. Obviously, the best way is to just tackle for a loss or a sack. But if you're able to get an incompletion, you're able to get to second and 10, 
third and 11, whatever, that's when Steve Spagnuolo can actually start dialing up things and start doing more creative stuff on defense. That was one of the most underrated parts of their demise last year when they were struggling was because they couldn't get into those downs in the first half of the season. And and again, it's it's not going to be – what's the right word here I'm thinking of? It's There's going to be some growing pain with this defense. You know, it, It's not going to start off – and Spagnuolo has said that. Spagnuolo has said, look, I know there's going to be some, some tough times we go through with some of these guys trying to learn because you're asking what – half your defense is gone. They're replaced over half of it. And so that's not an easy thing to do when you've been winning at a high level. You've got players coming in who probably because they've watched the Chiefs play and expect to keep winning because they're the Chiefs and guys got to go out and perform. How do you think the AFC West as a whole shakes out? I obviously I'm high on the Chiefs because of the talent and what they have done. But taking the schedule into account, like you mentioned, the youth, the new faces, especially defensively, taking that into account, you could easily make the case for a slow start. Where do you think the AFC West shakes out? Because every single one of those three teams got much better. It wasn't just small additions. It was Russell Wilson for Drew Locke. It was Devontae Adams for Darius Hayward Bay or whoever else it was at wide receiver for for the Raiders. A long time ago. I I, I get it. I, I, I know Renfro's still there. Yeah. As far as the Chargers go, another year under Staley, another year with Justin Herbert. They they're they're improved. How does it shake out? Well, it's going to be a dogfight, and we've all known this since March when all these moves started happening and all those improvements began to to show up, and so. The Chiefs will be in the mix. As long as you have Andy Reid as your head coach and Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, you're going to be in the mix. But, yeah, their schedule is as tough as it's ever been. Uh, it probably – I can't imagine. I've lived in this town for 15 years. I can't imagine a tougher schedule that they faced than what's what they're preparing to deal with. The Chargers, I like a lot. I think the Broncos are going to be very dangerous. The Raiders, I, I suspect, are underrated because – they made the playoffs last year. And a lot of people aren't talking about them in the same way they are Russell Wilson going to Denver or <clears throat> all those moves the Chargers made. But ultimately, I, I don't think the Chiefs win the division this year. I think that the Chargers, if I'm betting, I, I think the Chargers, just because on paper, they have the best roster and they have a quarterback. But come on now. I will say this. Have you done it the past six years too? Have you been taking the, the sexy Chargers uh, pick? I'm pretty sure I've picked the Chiefs more often. I think I picked the Chargers once, and I think they tied for the division. I think they finished with the same record in 2018. If I remember correctly, I think the Chargers <laughs> came here and <laughs> split with them, right? Um, so that hasn't looked too bad, but it's, yeah, on paper, I, I think they – and I, when I pick teams this time of the year, I look at just strengths and weaknesses. I think it's that simple. It's all going to change because of injuries. It's all going to change because of matchups and different things. And who's, you know, these players that we're talking about, who's able to ascend quickly and who's going to struggle. But ultimately, if you're talking about a defense that has Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa and JC Jackson on it and Derwin James and a, a quarterback like Justin Herbert, who's really ascended very quickly and become one of the top six or seven quarterbacks in this league and an offensive line that's pretty strong and a good supporting cast of, of weapons. The, there, there's nobody in this division that has what the Chargers have. 
As far as the NFL as a whole, because I want to ask you, because you're not just a Chiefs guy. You're an NFL reporter, NFL.com. Oh. You, you do everything. You know what's going on with Kyler Murray and this four-hour study a week. Uh, they're they're yeah. acting like he's got to take an ACT before each game. Are they just that concerned that Kyler Murray doesn't have that work ethic or is this just something where they it's an insurance policy for the Cardinals? What do you make of this whole thing? Well, it's like one I've never I've never seen anything like this <laughs> covering the NFL. I mean, you see weight clauses and stuff like that where it's like, okay, well, can't play basketball in the offseason, that kind of stuff. But to say to tell a quarterback who's been in the Pro Bowl, who was drafted first overall, who's won a Heisman Trophy, who's been doubted, you have to go out and study more. It's uh, it, it's a huge indictment. As as a black man, it's even more of an indictment because you know historically, you go back to slavery. The the, the two worst things you could say about a black guy that they're dumb and that they're lazy. And I don't think Kyler Murray's dumb because I've talked to him before. I've interviewed him, and he's a pretty bright guy. So the the connotation here is that he, that he's he's not working hard enough. And if you go back, I think a lot of people aren't talking about this. You go back to where all this started. It was at the combine, and Kyler Murray's agent said he needs a new deal. And we're, we want a new deal. He ain't showing up. And a lot of people were like, whoa, whoa, it's three years here. Like, we're just getting into, you know, the third year here, right? Finishing the third year, and let's not get too carried away. And they kind of kind of tried to bulldog him. Mm-hmm. And my guess of it is, and I haven't talked to anybody over there since this whole thing has come out. I know their GM pretty good, Steve Kahn. My guess of it is they weren't crazy about that approach. And so now this is their way of saying, okay, you want to play that way? Here's what we want from you. <laughs> we'll give you your money. But you better go out there and you better bust your ass and be what Tom Brady and what Aaron Rodgers and what Peyton Manning, how they approach the game, because we're not seeing that from you. And I don't know how you live that down right now if you're Kyler Murray, because they just pretty much that clause getting out means they are pointing the finger at you. They haven't thrown you under the bus yet. But if you feel some kind of warm contact on your back, if you're Kyler Murray right now, and you see a car coming, (laughs) you better brace yourself. Because this is what's happening right now. They are saying you are the reason whether we win or whether we lose. And if we lose, it's going to be because you didn't take care of your business away from the facility. It it almost has that Jamarcus Russell vibe when they allegedly sent Jamarcus Russell home with video. Did you watch it? What happened? And it was blank VHS tape, whatever it was at the time. That's what it feels like. And I understand because I think Kyler Murray is a very, very good quarterback. He is very, very good. But I don't know in that elite category yet. I mean, I don't know where you put Kyler Murray. He's extremely talented, but he he almost blamed the team and the coaching staff for that that collapse last year. And that felt unfair because it looked like he turned into remember when Josh Allen in the playoffs was it his first time in the playoffs? Looked like he dropped LSD, had no idea what was going on. That's kind of what Kyler Murray looked like. The stage was too bright for him. Do you think any of that has something to do with this, where it felt like Kyler almost blamed everyone else but himself, and this is the Cardinals saying, look inward? Yeah, look, I, I think there's been I, – I know just from hearing from people around that organization that there's certainly something off between him, the franchise – Kingsbury, there's something that is, there's a disconnect there that's got to get fixed. And, and I do know that they aren't crazy about, they weren't crazy about his body language. They weren't crazy about how he carried himself. And that was something they wanted to get fixed in the off season. And I would hope that he's able to, to do those things. But the problem with, with, with this being out there now, and I was doing a radio show earlier this, this today about this. And I said, I can't imagine a guy who's been given $200 million 
having a worse day <laughs> than what this guy's had. It should be a day of celebration. And let's go party. And he's just like, he's taking it, you know, he's getting pummeled here uh, to borrow a turn from Andy Reid. And, and so, yeah, he's got, he's, this isn't like an anonymous source coming out and saying, oh, he needs to work harder. He's not studying enough. This is black and white in a contract. You're losing money if you don't do this. And I think what's worse about it is just how little they've asked of him. You know, <laughs> it's 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 almost like it, it's such it's it's such a condemnation to say, just give us four weeks, four, four hours of study a week. You know, <laughs> it's like not even asking for the moon. What's what's, what's the, the suggestion here is that you're not doing anything, bro. Just give us that. I know he likes video games and I'm sure that has to play a part. And it's one of those situations like you can do what you want in your free time. A lot of NFL players like playing video games, but if that's such a concern for an organization, I also fault the Cardinals giving a guy that much money and you have to put that in there. I mean, you're between a rock and a hard place bringing this back full circle to the chiefs. How lucky are they that they have someone like Mahomes where you don't have to worry about any of these situations, where it feels like Mahomes gets along so well with the front office? You know, Rodgers, even to an example, is such an amazing quarterback. There's been so much friction in Green Bay. Uh, when it comes to Tom Brady and the Patriots, there that felt like a open dialogue for the majority of his tenure there. That's what it feels like here with Kansas City and Mahomes. Do you get that same feeling as well? Yeah, I mean, he's look. The contract Patrick signed is is a big testament to his own maturity, his his own understanding of what it takes to win in this league. He, he look, he's getting paid a lot of money off the field, so that helps make those kind of decisions. He's not caught up in, you know. We'll see what happens. I, I imagine his contract will get redone at some point in the next three or four years. The way the market's going, like he's not going to end up being the eleventh highest paid quarterback in the league. <laughs> whatever in 2026 and not have that be addressed. But, but he understands that you need to have a good team around you, which is a big deal. You know, there's been some issues with his brother that I can tell you his front off the front office has not been crazy about um, Mm -hmm. that. I think they would like to have him address better or at least be able to have some way of helping to diffuse that stuff. But yeah, that's really the only thing you could say that is really noteworthy in his time with the Chiefs, you know, as far as being a distraction. Before I let you go, before we get out of here, final record prediction for Kansas City. You have the Chargers winning the AFC West. That's that's it feels a little bold just based on recent memory, recent history, until you beat the best. How can you be the best? I, I'm not saying right? the Chiefs the same team, it's a different story. Yeah, I, I, I'm just saying. I, I don't have the Chiefs winning 13, 14 games, right? I think that's just just based on all the factors we have touched on in this show, it feels a little unrealistic. But I do feel like the Chiefs and, and the Chargers for them, and the Chargers have a tough schedule too. It's not just the Chiefs' schedule got more difficult. The Chargers did as well. So what do you think overall with Kansas City? What is their final record if you have to do it on July 26th? Yeah, 10-7, uh, and seven. wild card, 10-7, and seven, second place. Wild card. I, th- I think the AFC West gets three teams in the playoffs mm-hmm. with the Chargers winning it and then Denver and the Chiefs as the wild card. So that's where I'll go with it. I, I went back and I've gone back and forth with the AFC North and just not knowing where Cleveland's going to be at with Deshaun Watson. I just feel like Buffalo wins the East, either Baltimore, or Cincinnati wins the, the North. I think the Colts win the South and then you get 
Chargers and two teams, two wild cards coming out of the West. We're close. Now the Chiefs at eleven and seven, tying with the Chargers. Of course there you do. do. Of course you do. Eleven and seven or eleven and six. Eleven and six. I'm I'm a realist over here. I'm not going to say fifteen yeah. and two. You know me. We, a realist like you have to go back to your neighborhood and be able to, to look at your your neighbors and in the, in the, in the, come back on the show and not have people throwing eggs at your face. Huh? <laughs> hey, come on. Eleven and six yeah. is realistic. Come on. I love and, how everybody I talk to who makes a pick on the radio here is like, picking the Chiefs. I'm picking the Chiefs. Oh. <laughs> Wait, what are you going to do? Pick Brandon? I like Staley, but am I going to trust him over Andy Reid? I don't think so. They're chokers. They choked with Phillip Rivers. They switched quarterbacks. They choked with Anthony Lynn. They switched head coaches. They switched cities. They still choke. It's a curse. Hey, were you picking the Bengals last year? In the postseason to do anything? In the preseason to do anything? Correct. I I, I didn't think Joe – I'll eat it. Okay. I did not That's think okay. Joe Burrow was going to be what Joe Burrow was. I, I'll i yeah. admit it. I have the Bills going like 15-2, and 14-3. and three. How's that? Is that is that my – your uh, not Chiefs good. homer pick? Yeah. Those are pretty – So this is how you get the Chiefs yeah. hater moniker. Come on. on a limb, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, Jeffrey Chadia, NFL Network, NFL.com, NFL reporter. He does it all. Jeffrey, we always appreciate it, man. All right. All good, man. Happy to do it. Thank you. We'll see you at Lifetime sometime soon. I, I got to see your new, what, what was it now? Your Michael Jordan game? Yeah, is that uh, what, what you told me? It's a pickleball course over there. We may be playing pickleball. Oh, big pickleball guy. Played last night. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) Well, always a pleasure. This was the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. This was with Sterling Holmes, Matt Connor. Matt Connor doing some renovation. Hopefully his basement's fixed because next week I can't do this by myself. It's too much talking. Uh, If you want to check out Patrick Allen, Matt Verderam, they will be on the Thursday show. Thank you again to KC Beer Company. We are out.